Well, good morning. Oof, that was, that was a little rough. I would, I would make our teenagers say good morning again, so I guess it's only fitting, right? No special treatment. Good morning. Good morning. Much, much better, so... Um, it's crazy to think about. We are about four weeks into the new year. Anybody in the here or maybe online made a New Year's commitment? Anybody? Ooh. We we just we know we know the game, right? Why make it? I'm not going to keep it, right? Or maybe some of us are just not brave enough to com- admit that. Yep, I did it. Okay, four weeks in. If you made a commitment, did you stick to it? Okay, more, more honesty. I appreciate that. So, um, and it seems like it's that mode every year, right? I, I'm going to change this about myself. I'm going to be better. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to eat healthier. But Chick-fil-A is just so good. Um, right? And all these things just kind of go through our mind. And sometimes that can waver our confidence a lot. Or maybe you made commitments and something occurred where it was unexpected. And that happens quite a lot, honestly. And sometimes we can get through those things because we have either a spouse or a family member or a friend who maybe has faced something similar. And so they will sit there, they will listen, they will give comfort to you. And that is helpful at times, right? But then there's other times in our life where we may need somebody who doesn't just listen doesn't just sit there and hear us kind of moan and complain about whatever. But if we have somebody who is able in all ways maybe to change what has occurred in our life, that's a lot better than this somebody who can listen, right? And so this morning, we're going to be in the text of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And the author of Hebrews is going to remind us that we can have comfort in our confidence because we don't have just a, a God or a Savior who will listen. He, in all ways and capacities, can help and change what we are going through in this life. And so when we face difficult circumstances, somebody who is able to understand, and the text tells us, sympathize and bring about change is even better than that friend, even though they are a great friend who will just listen. Because Jesus not only listens, but he changes what goes on for us. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 to start. And this morning we're going to see that our weakness demonstrates our need of Jesus. And I thought that picture was fitting as we think about New Year's commitments and maybe working out and probably have felt at some point like this gentleman on the screen. But for us as Christians, our weakness is a reason to boast. Our weakness is a reason to glorify in Jesus because it points to somebody that we need that we cannot in and of ourselves bring about change. It can only come through Jesus Christ. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. And we have to kind of get our framework in our minds a little bit this morning because the author here is writing to a people who have been very familiar with the 
the temple and animal sacrifices and food sacrifices. And so he's going to make a lot of parallels to the high priest. And so as he's doing this, we have to kind of get our minds in the mode here that when he uses the phrase, who passed through the heavens, he's making a correlation, a parallel with what a high priest would have done. A high priest would have had to enter into a seven-day process of ritual cleansing to even offer the once-a-year sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. But he would have had to pass through the temple doors, right, into the inner courts, and he would have had to pass even further in and eventually enter into the Holy of Holies. And the author is making this connection that this is what Jesus did when he went back to heaven. He passed through kind of these gates, if you will, and he's a great high priest. There's been no other high priest like him since. And we'll get into a little bit more detail about that later on. But as he talks about this high priest, he says, let us hold fast our confession. And it's important for us here this morning to ask the question, well, why was it so important that Jesus become the great high priest? Why is it so important for us to see that our weakness demonstrates our need of Jesus? And that comes in the question, of why Jesus came in the first place. Why Jesus came in the first place. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 through 13, reminds us of that very truth here this morning. And Jesus is talking here, and he says, And when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So the reason why Jesus had to come was because there were people who needed him. Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came for the lost. Jesus came for the sinners. He came for me. And he came for you. Our weakness demonstrates our need of Jesus. And so the author says, hold fast to your confessions. Hold fast to the truth of who Jesus is. Hold fast to why Jesus came and why he is the Messiah. And I think there's an important principle here, too, because this is very countercultural to our world today. Our world is very much, I want the biggest, strongest, smartest person on my team, right? Or let's, let's break this down a little bit, and this might open some fresh wounds, so I'm sorry. But let's picture back in elementary school or middle school or high school, and there's the team captains, right? And we're going to pick teams. Who's the leftovers? the weak, the scrawny, the not-so-maybe-athletically-inclined or whatever. And so you might go, yep, that was me. But Jesus came for that person. He didn't come for the top-tier athlete. He didn't come for the smartest-caliber person. He came for the sick and lost. And what's amazing is he takes that person, says, I want you on my team. And he turns them from being part of the practice squad or the leftovers that nobody wants and puts them into the starting lineup. He takes the the fifth or sixth string player and makes them the starting QB. And that is what Jesus does for us as believers. We're no longer part of the practice squad, but Jesus enables us and empowers us to be part of the first line. So it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how many numbers or letters are after your title. Jesus came for you and wants you and desires to use you for his kingdom purposes. 
And so because of our weakness, it demonstrates that we need Jesus even more. And so the author says there, hold fast to your confessions. And this reminds us that we are in a battle. Right? There are going to come doubts. There are going to come trials. There's going to come temptations. But we need to ground our beliefs into the truth of God's word. In fact, if you jumped up earlier into the chapter, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of of him to whom we must give account. So the author of Hebrews is essentially saying that, you know what, there's going to come confusion. There's going to come doubts. There's going to come trials and temptations in your life, but ground them in the truth of God's word. Deal with them as they come. Because the author was concerned that his readers or hearers of this letter would read this and that they were tempted to go back to Judaism. They were tempted to go back to a former way of life, saying, you know what, Jesus isn't all that he said he was. You know, all this stuff I'm facing in this life, it's just not worth it. I'm going to go back. And he's concerned because if they leave, essentially what they're doing is saying that Jesus isn't all that he said he was. And the author knows that's not true. He is sufficient for every need. He's sufficient for every desire of our hearts. And there's a warning for us here as well, because just as a Jewish person in this time would have been tempted to go back to a foreign way of lifestyle because of something difficult that may have arisen in their life, we too can taste of Jesus. We too can have a confession of faith and something arises in our life and we're just wanting to go back to it. You know, I tried this Jesus thing and it just was not worth it. So the author is warning us, don't return to old habits. Don't leave a bad testimony, a bad witness about who Jesus is. Draw near to him. Draw into him. Why? Verse 15, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus knows the doubts that we will face. He experienced them, but he battled them. And so the author is drawing us into the truth of being near to Jesus. And we have to remember that this is a spiritual warfare as much as a physical thing as well. I was trying, as I was meditating on this, I was trying to think of a good word picture for us here this morning. And the idea of the Trojan horse came to mind. Uh, And if you have read uh, the Odyssey or if you are familiar with the analogy of it, I know for some of our younger people, a Trojan horse is a computer virus. Same principle, though. Uh, The Trojan horse was a wooden structure that the Greeks constructed and made it large enough to hold warriors inside, and they left it outside the city of Troy, and Troy was a ginormous city that was well fortified with walls, and so the Greeks were unable to penetrate. So they devised this strategic strategy to build this horse, leave it as a gift for the Trojans, and they would bring it into their city and essentially bring in their own demise. And sometimes for us as believers, we will have doubts, we will face trials, and we will allow them to sit within the dwelling of our minds and our hearts and never deal with them. And that's what the author here is saying. It's like, you may face doubts, but hold fast to your faith and deal with it with the truth of God's word. 
Why? Because we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize. He knows where we are. And so the author is encouraging us to run to the high priest who didn't only just offer a sacrifice, right? Later on in the passage here, we see that he not only offers sacrifice, but he offers to us lending aid, grace, and mercy. Which then brings us to why our weakness is so cool is because we get to embrace Jesus' call to us. And what does Jesus say to us who are weak, those of us who are struggling, those of us who have doubts? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What amazing truth for us. And I think at least at some point in all of our lives, we can go, yeah, that's me. I'm heavy laden. I'm burdened. I have all this stuff going on. But Jesus says, I have faced what you faced, and I offer you grace and mercy during those times. In your weakness, draw close to me, for I offer you away. And kind of a backwards thinking too, if we think that, you know what, this Jesus thing just isn't worth it, I'm just going to walk away. Nobody else offers us an easy, lighter path. In fact, Jesus told us that if you are a disciple of mine, you will face trials and tribulations in your life. But the promise I leave with you is I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not abandon you. In fact, I'm going to walk beside you, carrying the brunt of the load, so you may walk fully confident with me. You see, Jesus faced all manners of temptations, and yet without sin. And what I love here in verse 15, is says that, you know, and, and yet without sin. If you looked up the Greek phraseology there, you would find that the phrase means absolute absence of sin absolute absence of sin. So Jesus faced doubts. Jesus faced temptations and yet walked perfectly in obedience to God's calling of his life. And if we are sitting here for a moment going, well, how bad did Jesus have it? So I kind of compiled a list. It's not exhaustive, but I think it's a good reminder of what Jesus faced. So then when we read about in every way he's able to sympathize with us, I think it'll resonate a little bit with us. Number one, Jesus faced personal temptation from Satan. Think about the wilderness. And I think few and far between us here this morning, we can say that we've ever been personally tempted by Satan, and we can praise God for that. Uh, He faced rejection by family and friends in his community. He faced many disappointments, people who said they would do things and never ended up doing them. He faced a whole host of different emotions, even strong emotions, and yet in perfect obedience walked without sin in those. He faced a flawed authority and yet walked in submission to it. And I know, at least in my mind, when I was thinking about that, I'm like, yeah, Jesus had to submit to a flawed government authority, right? The Romans and all that. But he also faced authority from his parents, who were also flawed. And sometimes we don't think about that, right? Mary and Joseph, I'm sure, face moments, because I do as a parent as well, 
where you don't do everything perfectly, right? You don't parent your kids perfectly. And so sometimes you have to apologize as a parent. And could you imagine Mary and Joseph for just a moment had to apologize to the perfect kid? And yet Jesus submitted to them in perfect authority. He faced temptation to the fullest degree. You know, we face temptations, and in our human flesh, it's easy for us just to give in. Right? It gets so bad, you know, I'm just going to give in. Jesus never did. Uh, Jesus experienced failure to accountability. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. When he asked his disciples to pray for him, what did they do? Fell asleep. And ultimately, Jesus faced persecution, and persecution unto death. And so when Jesus says, draw near to me, I'm able to sympathize with you, he really means that, because he knows what it is like to live this life. He says, my burden is light, and I know your limits. Walk with me. You might ask the question, how can somebody who's never sinned know what it's like for somebody who has sinned? How is he able to sympathize with us? And so I came across this illustration by John MacArthur in uh, his book on Hebrews, talking about this passage, and I thought it was a really helpful illustration because I often struggle with that too. How is he able to sympathize This is what it says. A doctor may perform thousands of complicated and successful operations without ever having had the surgery himself. It is the knowledge of the disease or disorder in his surgical skill in treating it that qualifies him, not his having had the disease. He has had great experience with the disease and much greater experience with it than any of his patients have confronted it in all of its manifestations. Jesus never sinned but he understands sin better than any man. He has seen it more clearly and fought it more diligently than any of us could ever be able to do. And I can tell you from own personal experience, I'd rather have a doctor who is well-versed in whatever the surgery or condition is and know how to treat it than somebody who may have had it, doesn't really know a whole lot about it, and goes, I think this will fix it. And that's who our Savior is. In all ways was tempted. In all ways experienced weakness. And yet with absence of sin in it. So it's because of these truths then this morning that Jesus knows our struggles of what it means to be a faithful, obedient follower of God. And why the author then welcomes us into verse 16 to say, our weakness calls us to embrace the throne of grace. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, no other high priest at this time could have walked into the Holy of Holies confidently all the time. I'm sure there was probably doubts in their own minds at times where they would go through a ritual process, they would offer the sacrifice, do all the things, and from a human perspective, kind of wonder, did I confess that? Did I, did, I, did I acknowledge this or whatever? And that would have been really important for them because if they made a mistake, it was a fatal one. So much so that they would tie bells to the high priest's ankle and a rope so then if they stopped hearing bells, 
as they entered into the Holy of Holies, they could pull them out. But Jesus is our great high priest. See, the high priest, even though they may have perfectly obeyed in all the things that they were supposed to do and go and offer the sacrifice, they could never sit down because they would only have to go the next year to offer that one-time sacrifice. They would have to offer sacrifices for themselves on a daily basis. But what does Jesus do? Jesus goes, offers the sacrifice one time, sufficiently, and then what the Scripture tells us? He sits down because his work is done. And that is why Jesus is the great high priest. Because no other high priest ever was able to sit down and rest from his work. Because there was always another sacrifice to give. So that phrase there in verse 16 says, draw near. And again, I can't help but picture the woman in Mark chapter 5, verse 28, who had 12 years of a blood disorder and wasted all of her money on doctors trying to get it all figured out. And she got to the point where she heard about this man who could heal any disease. And she thought to herself, if I could only draw near to him and touch his garment, just a piece, just draw near and touch a piece, I'll be healed. And what happens? She draws near to Jesus, touches his garment, and experiences a healing that nobody else could have ever provided for her. So get that picture of that drawing near. Why it's so important for us to draw near to the throne of grace. Because that was her mode. If I just draw near enough, if I just get close enough to experience him, it will change everything. So then my question for us here this morning is then, what is your mode when difficulties arise? You might be asking yourself, Pastor Ryan, why do you have a crock on the screen? And that's because I learned a great spiritual truth this summer during Action Day Camp. Action Day Camp is great for us learning great, deep theological truths. And one of those great theological debates we had or conversations was what a crock is. And crocs were once upon a time ago very popular and very good. I didn't know this prior to the summer, so I was enlightened deeply. Um, but crocs have two modes. I don't know if you knew this. Mode one is the flap goes this way. This is a casual mode. It's for you to slip on, slip off, and walk around the house or outside very easily. You're, it's just a casual setting. The other mode that it has, and there's great debate on what we officially call this mode, so forgive me if it's not the one you call, this is called 4 by 4 mode, or adventure mode, or action mode, or whatever the case may be. But you kind of get the idea, right? You put it on, and now your foot is secured into the shoe. And as silly of an illustration as this might be, I think there's great spiritual truths to that as well. Because in our lives, we have different modes. And I'm afraid that as Christians, we are too often in the mode of being casual with our walk with Christ. And so when temptations or trials or tribulations arise, we'll lose our footing because it's not secured in who Jesus is and what he provides for us. And so the challenge for us is when those things are happening, putting the strap so we can have confidence in drawing near to Jesus so we may not lose our footing 
is paramount to what the author of Hebrews is talking about here this morning. So do you think to yourself, I've got to draw near. If only a touch would be enough for today. To sit and allow the working power of God's word in my life to change and transform me. And just to list off a few portions of scripture that might be helpful to you in those things to apply this principle, uh, going to the Psalms. Great, great book of the Bible that helps us to flesh out sometimes the emotions of what we're feeling, the doubts that we're facing, meditating on those. Or maybe it's more practical things we need in our life. So the book of Proverbs would be super helpful in that. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and just thinking, I I need something a little bit more than just that. Uh, I need some more truth in my life. And so I have on the screen there and also up here, so if you're a physical book person, as I know some of you are, uh, to see, uh, just some resources that have been helpful to me throughout my life as I face different things. Uh, First one is Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. Uh, Just great truths and meditation on who Jesus is, what he provides for us, and what the cross did for us. Uh, Another one is, and it's a different picture up there than I have here, but the Valley of Vision. Um, It's an old, old book, but great Puritan truths and prayers and poems throughout. Again, just meditations on the cross. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're just kind of spinning your wheels and you go, I just don't know where I'm at spiritually. And so this book, 10 Questions that Diagnose Your Spiritual Health, might be helpful to you. Um, It has great truths in helping us to evaluate, man, where am I struggling in my walk with Christ? Uh, Another book up there is My Heart Cries Out uh, by Paul David Tripp. Again, similar to The Valley of Vision, but just kind of more modern, up-to-date language. Um, Gospel truths, reflections on the Psalms, spiritual songs as well. And the last one is just a gospel primer for Christians. And as a, as a title implied, it's talking about the gospel, and there's meditations for each day as you walk through the month. But as we consider these things, what is our mode? We have to remember, too, that we need to find comfort in our weakness. And the reason why is because Jesus understands our weakness. Jesus faced doubts. Jesus faced struggles, but yet walked in perfectly obedience and dealt with them in the appropriate manner. And so we can find comfort because we have a Savior who sympathizes and understands and walks with us. And I love what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us, is that no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. I want you to think about that for just a moment, because we read that and go, yep, that's true of me. But that would have been true of Jesus as well because he experienced all things that men have experienced and yet without sin. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we must remember here this morning that God's not abandoned us. He's not abandoned you. He sent Jesus so that you may have full confidence in him, to give you hope and assurance so that we may come to him like a son or daughter of the king to the throne of grace. You know, we don't have to experience the fear that Esther faced in the book of Esther where she went before the king not knowing if she would risk her life and lose it. 
What does Scripture tell us? No, we as sons and daughters of the King can come in with confidence. We can come in knowing that He has time for us. We don't have to set a schedule. We don't have to set a reminder to go visit Him. We are free at any moment to walk into His presence to talk to Him. The people of Israel were blessed to have a high priest that would offer sacrifices and go before them into the Holy of Holies. But the high priest was limited. He could never sit down, and he would often have to offer sacrifices for himself as well. High priests were inadequate to give mercy and grace. All they could do was fulfill the payment for the justice that God's righteousness needed, demanded of sin. But Jesus not only fulfilled the requirement of the justice needed, the fulfillment of the payment— But then the scripture tells us that he then gives us mercy and grace to the fullest. What amazing truth that is. And so this morning, as we reflect on these two truths, that our weakness demonstrates our need of Jesus and our weakness calls us to experience the throne of grace, I can't help but just reflect on this passage. And the question arises in my mind, how did Jesus do it? Right? He was fully God. I know he kind of cheated and had the whole God thing, right? But how do you do it from a man's perspective, from a man's side of things? And we could spend a lot of time debating this morning on all the different ways that he did it. I just want to focus in on one truth this morning. One thing that we see throughout the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, is that Jesus often meditated on Scripture. So much so that when he would respond to things, he would respond with Scripture. He knew them inside and out. And one of the things that we've been walking through in the book of Joshua was we see Joshua being reminded by God, don't allow the book of the law of Moses to leave your mouth, to stop thinking about it. Meditate on it day and night. Moses in Deuteronomy was reminded to meditate on it day and night. Whether you rise or whether you sit, whether you're with your kids or out on a walk or whatever, let it be a part of your life. And so Jesus did this very thing. And so if Jesus did it, and this was a habit that Jesus implemented to his own life, being perfectly God and perfectly man, then I, as an imperfect human, need that as well. And so imagine for a moment if we just, as a people, focused in on one verse every single day, 365 days of the year, right? 365 verses. And we just meditate on that in the morning when we read our Bible, read through a few chapters or whatever, and this is the verse I'm going to focus on. Imagine how much your life would change just by allowing that one verse to kind of permeate throughout your life throughout the day. So then you read about, you know, don't be angry or whatever, and then you have moments where you're going to be angry, and that verse comes to mind, and you go, you know what? I'm going to choose grace. I'm going to choose patience. Meditating, allowing the truth of God's word to change and transform us. It's not an exhaustive habit, but it is a simple one that we can implement. Or, you know, it's a word that we don't like to throw out a whole lot, but a discipline that we need to implement into our own lives. That's simple, but could radically change the way we live before Jesus. So we have to remember that when battles arise, 
as the author of Hebrews reminds us here tonight, that we need to go to him, to talk to him, to allow him to work in and through us. Why? Because Jesus can sympathize with us in every way and knows exactly what we need and knows exactly the ways to offer help and service to us. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for my burden is light. I'm here to assist you. I'm here to offer you a better way of life. Draw near and experience my grace today. Let us pray, and then we will be dismissed for this morning. Father God, I want to thank you so much for today. Thank you for the truth of your words. Thank you for a Savior who in all ways experienced things in our lives, in his life, that he can sympathize with us in our own lives. God, you are great and awesome, and we praise you for the name of Jesus. Father, help us to draw near, even today, to reflect on the truths of your word, to allow them to change and transform our lives so we may go out into the lost and dying world and call people to yourself as one who has found bread offering to somebody who is begging for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.